everyone, and welcome back to More Than a Muse. I'm Stani. And I'm Sadie. And I'm excited for this episode. I'm a huge Grey's Anatomy fan. Mm-hmm. And recently was doing a rewatch of Grey's Anatomy, and it hit me. Wow. I have a whole podcast dedicated to women in the arts who are making significant contributions. And Shonda Rhimes, I dare say, has made one of the biggest contributions to television. Yeah. In <laughs> recent years, at the very least. So anyways, this episode has been a long time coming. I'm very excited to dive into it. Before we Same. do dive into the topic at hand, though, we want to do a Grammys recap because we always love, we, we love the Grammys. We love we talking do. about the Grammys. We have quite a few Grammys episodes. True. So if you're looking mm-hmm. for like history or other things like that, we've talked about it. We've also done one on the Oscars and the mm-hmm. Met Gala's award show season is upon us. And if you want to learn more about behind the scenes of all that, yeah, true, it's there. Want to know how the Grammys work it. and all that? And uh, the Grammys aired officially last Sunday. It was a fun award show. I was. I feel like this is mostly one happy the, with everything. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. like this is one of the better ones that's happened. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Probably the best one that's happened so far. Actually, I know we've still got a few more, but like a few more Grammys or a few more award shows. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know what you mean by that, Ston. Yeah. Um, I know. I agree. I think this one was really fun. And I'm pretty sure every single televised award did go to a woman this year, which is really exciting because a couple years ago, the former Grammy president told women, <laughs> well, as a response to the backlash of yeah. not enough women being nominated, he just said, okay, women need to step up and make better music, essentially. And well, looks like they did. And in the words of Phoebe Bridgers, rotten piss. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I love her. I know. That was so funny. Especially because, mm-hmm. like, essentially she had nothing to lose. Because didn't they just announce a hiatus, too, for Boy Genius? Yeah. Uh-huh. Boy so Genius she's like, is done. She got her yeah. Grammys. She said her piece and said rotten piss to the former yep. president she's of like, the Grammys. Look what we did. Got to go. Done. <laughs> yeah. Mic drop. I'm no, done. Good for her, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's funny, like, I saw a lot of weird comments about Taylor Swift's behavior. Like, people are mad she pulled Lana on stage. She was acting weird in videos, I think. And, like, yeah. I think some people didn't like that she announced her album at the Grammys. Oh. They felt like that was weird. Nah, I she mean, loves the Grammys. She does. And the Grammys, who they love her. Yeah. Uh, she did break a record last Sunday. Which, to be most perfectly album honest, of the years, I don't think ever. she thought she was going to win. No. I think that's why she announced her album after winning pop vocal. I don't think yeah. she thought she was going to win. She did not think she was going to win. I don't think anyone... No. Not a lot of people... I didn't think she was going to win. I, I was, didn't think so either. And I love Midnight's, but I mean... It's one of my favorite Taylor albums, but I really wow. didn't think it would win. Yeah. That surprises me, actually. I thought it was going to SZA. Me too. I yeah. thought maybe it should have gone to SZA. But I'm not that matter, of course. I'm I know, I love fan, Taylor. So. But yeah, I, I was I probably would have picked SZA's. I would have honestly done SZA and then Lana yeah. and then Taylor. But, you yeah. know. It does surprise me Lana's history. never won a Grammy before. But then again, I was really shocked that Miley hadn't either. I feel like some of these people, I'm just like, what? <laughs> By now, my, you haven't gotten one? <laughs> my favorite moments of the night were anything that Miley did. Mm-hmm. Her acceptance speeches and or her performance. I just... I love Miley. I've been a Miley girl since day one. I love her. She was just so happy to be there, too. Yeah. Like, it was just sweet. She was just so thrilled. Just like in her speeches of, my life was amazing and beautiful yesterday. I'm just like, oh. Yeah. 
I'm so happy you found that, Miley. I'm so happy. I agree. One other thing that we talked about that I wanted to bring up is I 100% agree that Beyonce should by now have albums this year. 100%. And she's been nominated so many times that yes, she should have one by now. It doesn't make any sense. there's so many times that people have beat her out, which I know you're about to touch on. (laughs) Yes. So the thing I hate is that every time someone says something like, oh, Beyonce deserves album of the year, the press turns it into this whole Beyonce versus Taylor thing. Mm -hmm. When Taylor and Beyonce have only been up against each other for album of the year once. Really? Yes. It was the original like fearless no, won. that was a different award show, remember? Because that was oh, the one that Kanye announced. That was for a music video, and that was True. with... Single Ladies and You Belong With Me. That was like the Yeah, famous, but yeah. it was like People's Choice or something, right? Whatever uh, award the show. Okay, because that was like mm-hmm. they have the little astronaut trophy. Yeah. But it was like for Album <laughs> of the Year, though, Beyonce and Taylor have only been up against each other one time. Wow, I actually didn't realize that. The other times, Beyonce was up against Adele. Which... And I remember yeah. Adele's acceptance speech. Even she was like, oh, no. She's like, this should have gone to Beyonce. But I'm like, that mm-hmm. was a hard year. Because, yeah, Lemonade probably should have won. But it was up against Adele's, I think, 29? 25. Mm-hmm. 25, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. And then the other one was Harry's House last year up against Renaissance. <laughs> that was so shocking to me that Harry yeah, won. Yeah. I, mean, I thought it would Harry. be Beyonce. It was a good yes. album, though. It was a good album. But... It wasn't my yeah. favorite. I'm not going to lie. No. <laughs> it's okay. And then I'm, I'm trying a hater. to remember what the other one was. I looked it up. because Oh, was it like, was, I-, um, I think it was Beck. It was when Beck won. Oh, and yeah. And I remember after that, everything was trending. It said, who's Beck? Which mm. is so funny. But I, <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure it was them that beat her. Yeah. So it's, it's not this whole Taylor against Beyonce thing. Yes, mm-hmm. Taylor wins that award a lot. She's really good at making albums. That's her thing. She's not really good at picking singles for the album. <laughs> Hence, where is the record of the year? I actually thought she had a chance with Antihero, but Mm -hmm. it didn't end up working out. But I actually am very happy that Billy got it for Song of the Year. I agree. That seems so fitting. And I love that Miley finally got something. I would have picked Miley, honestly. That song was everywhere. everywhere. And I thought it was a good one. Like one one of her best songs that she's had recently. So Mm -hmm. I was a big fan. I was so happy with that, actually. And I love that Victoria Monet won. I I know know. that I think some people were surprised by that. But like her acceptance speech was so beautiful. And I know like she's basically the reason why Thank You Next was a good album. So I don't think a lot of people know. I read a little bit about her. She's been like a songwriter in Mm -hmm. Hollywood and like the music scene for a really long time. But she hasn't been an individual performer. Mm-hmm. for very long so that's why she was eligible for best new artist which mm-hmm. to be honest that category does always feel a little weird to me because sometimes people have been around for a really long time before yes. they win it yes. and this was one of those cases too mm-hmm. but yeah it, I was well, it's so like happy. defined of like when their breakout yeah. years are even though a lot of times it's like people we've heard of for a really long time but yeah, like I was like, Chapel Roan, I feel like this was her breakout year, but apparently not according to Grammy like standards. Next year. Next year. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm hoping for her. She even posted on her Instagram that she wasn't invited to the Grammys, but she was invited oh, to yeah. the after party. So I was like, yeah. okay, I'm hoping for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love her. I love her so much. <laughs> I know. No. Is there anything else? I feel like there were so many records that were broken. I mm-hmm. don't even know how to dive into I thought but, it, was a, it ended up being a pretty good night in music. I was happy with it. And yeah, same. I mean, also, I am excited for Taylor's new album. 
Oh, I have yeah. to focus on what the, the Tortured Poets tortured Department. Tortured Poets Department. I keep yep. wanting to go say the Tortured Poets Club or the Tortured Poets Society. Yeah. It's the Tortured Poet Department. I don't think it's her best album name, but also yeah. I haven't heard the music yet, so maybe it'll be great. I was a little lost on the department part. I was like, what makes it a department as opposed to, I don't know, something else? But It feels very corporate America. Yeah. I'm like, like, like I'm in the marketing department. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but I did see some funny wants. memes where people were putting like different department names with the tortured marketing department. And I was like, if <laughs> more people great. were Swifties in my company, I would 100% change our group chat name to that. But the tortured they wouldn't department. get it. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's funny. <laughs> That is funny. That is yeah. funny. And I'm very intrigued by the Post Malone and Florence and the Machine. I know. I'm Features. excited about it, though. Oh, me too. It seems just like a kind of a random, like, I wouldn't have guessed that those would be the features, but I thought it I'm would have been Lana again. Like, I really thought. Mm -hmm. And maybe they'll do something post. Yeah, I'm excited to see. Yeah. It'll be really interesting. I'm really excited. I love a new Taylor music. I, love I know everyone I wanted think. Reputation, but yeah. I'm okay with waiting for it. I'm with you. I'm yeah. very much with you. To pivot, shall we? Yes. Let's to Shondaland Dying. and Shonda Rhimes. Have you watched any of her TV shows? What TV shows from hers have you seen? I have seen some of How to Get Away with Murder. Obviously, Bridgerton. Yes, I haven't same. seen Queen Charlotte because I had to cancel my Netflix subscription because they kicked me off my parents' account. Mm -hmm. But I am planning on getting it again for a couple of months when the new season comes out. And then I'll probably nice. watch Queen Charlotte too. And then, of course, I watched Inventing Anna, who didn't. Yes, that one was good. It was so good. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's it. I've seen probably like a few episodes here and there of Grey's Anatomy. But weird fact about me, I can't handle medical shows unless the people are already dead. What situation are they already dead? I have seen a lot of shows where they do autopsies on dead bodies. Oh. doesn't bother me. <laughs> okay, I was like... I don't know what that means. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like I watched a show where she was. Oh, what's but it you called? can handle like crimes where they're doing autopsies. Yes. I don't care about that. But like surgery. I don't know why. It's like the life or death thing or maybe like the blood. All right. That's honestly valid. That I can't was why do it. I didn't watch Grace for a long time. Mm -hmm. COVID time. No. Lockdown is when I finally started watching it. That's an interesting time to pick up a medical show, Sadie. That's honestly a really good point. I've always just been so overwhelmed by the amount of seasons. But you know, I was like, if I'm going to start the show ever, it's going to be now. The time. Yeah. Is it still going? It is still going. That's what I thought. I only watched up to, I think, season 14 because I liked how season 14 ended. Hmm. And I knew the endings of different characters that I didn't like. And so... I watched that and I said, I like how this ends. I'm done with this show. That's and fair. I've never watched past that. Because yeah. in my mind, that is how Grey's ended. That's a really long running too. I feel like six seasons is usually when I'm like, yeah, that's a good amount. Add eight and then <laughs> yeah. add more because there's actually yeah. like season 22 or three or something. Yeah, now. that's crazy. Anyways. Good for Grey's Anatomy. Have you seen Scandal though? No, I haven't. Okay, but now haven't after either. doing this episode and the research for it, I'm like, uh, who am I? I need to watch all these shows so I can actually I know. know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that was the one that I was like, I don't know that much about it. And it apparently mm -hmm. got canceled, which we'll talk about. So apparently there's not even that much to watch. We could probably finish it pretty quick. 
That is true. I feel like I see a lot of clips of these shows, though, on TikTok. Like oh, yeah. Them there and that's They're fan I'm... favorites. For a brief introduction for those who don't know who Shonda Rhimes is, Shonda Lynn Rhimes was born January 13th, 1970. Like I've mentioned, she's an American television producer and a screenwriter and is the founder of the production company called Shonda Land. And then as of 2023, she is one of the most richest women in entertainment in America with a net worth of $250 million. Yep. Deserved, honestly, when you look at yeah, her catalog. She's here. <laughs> and she's become known as the showrunner, creator, head writer, and executive producer of the medical drama Grey's Anatomy, Political Thriller Scandal, that are both for ABC. And then beyond that with Netflix, she's done Bridgerton, Queen Charlotte. Oh, and then also she did How to Get Away with Murder with ABC. And we'll yeah. talk about it later like her transition from working with ABC to working exclusively with Netflix. And then with Netflix, I did this way out of order, but with Netflix, she's done Bridgerton, Quinn Charlotte, and then Inventing Anna. Overview of her accolades, 2007, 2013, and 2021. She was named by Time on the Time 100 with their annual list of 100 influential people in the world, which is Can you imagine not only getting that once, but but three three times? times? (laughs) Also in each decade too. Yeah. The, like the, the 2000s, the 2000s, 20s. <laughs> They're like, you're just extremely influential. So we're just going to keep and saying each that. Each decade too. Yeah, I know. That's crazy. In 2015, she published her first book, which is a memoir called The Year of Yes, How to Dance It Out, Stand in the Sun and Be Your Own Person. And then for her collective works, she's received numerous honors, including a Golden Globe, the Peabody Award, as well as a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Directors Guild of America, Writers Guild and Producers Guild. And then in 2017, talk about it more later, but she left traditional TV and made the unprecedented move to Netflix where Shondaland will now produce content exclusively for the streaming media company. She served as a creative director for Dove's Real Beauty campaign. She partnered with Pilot Pen G2 to award funds to community heroes. Her book, Year of Yes, was a New York Times bestseller. She has a masterclass course on TV writing that is really successful. And then she was inducted in the Television Academy of Arts and Sciences Hall of Fame in 2017. So... Yeah. Just your brief overview of, <laughs> in case you don't know, this woman's a really big deal. Yeah, very big deal. But her early life didn't really start out that way. She was born in Chicago, Illinois, and she's actually the youngest of six children. So her mother was a college professor, and then her father was actually a university administrator. And her mother attended college while raising their six children and earned a PhD in educational administration. While raising six kids. Because, you know, when you can have it all, why not? (laughs) That's why women, they just, they have to. They have no choice. (laughs) They do it all. I know. Seriously. And then her father, who had an MBA, became chief information officer at the University of Southern California and served until... 2013. They lived in basically University Park, Illinois, and she had an early affinity for storytelling, which would make sense, right? And so while in high school, she was a hospital volunteer, and that inspired her interest in hospital environments. There we go. (laughs) Which obviously comes into play later. Mm -hmm. And then she attended a Catholic high school in Chicago Heights and then went to Dartmouth College where she majored in English and film studies and earned her bachelor's degree in 1991. So actually at Dartmouth, it's Dartmouth, right? I, I never so, realized yeah. how weird the name of that college is. It looks yeah. like Dartmouth. Yeah, you're, it's Dartmouth. You're good. Dartmouth. <laughs> yep. Can you tell I'm not Ivy League? <laughs> yeah. Dartmouth, she joined State the Black... School. I know, right? The Black <laughs> Underground Theater Association and divided her time between directing and performing in student productions and writing fiction. I feel like that shows the 
influence that will play later in her career where she's not just like a producer or a writer or director. Mm-hmm. She kind of does everything and enjoys having a little bit of a part in everything. I feel like yeah. that's probably pretty rare. I think most people just pick one thing. One or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's really cool. And also wrote for the college newspaper. And then after college, moved to San Francisco and started working in advertising at McCain Erickson. And then shortly after, moved to Los Angeles to attend University of Southern California and to study screenwriting, where she was ranked at the top of her class. And she earned a writing fellowship and obtained a Master of Fine Arts degree from the School of Cinematic Arts. Cool. Then while doing all of that, she was hired as an intern by Deborah Martin Chase. And she actually credits her early success in part to mentors like Chase, who was a very prominent African-American producer. And she worked at Denzel Washington's company, Monday Lane Entertainment, for a few years, where together they worked on The Princess Diaries too. Which, Aha, what a lovely movie to be a part of. Um, and then springboarding into her career. So after graduation, she was started out as an unemployed scriptwriter in Hollywood. So to make ends meet, she would just work a variety of day jobs, office administrator, counselor, taught job skills to people. But then during this time, she worked as a research director director on the documentary Hank Aaron Chasing the Dream, which actually won a Peabody Award. And then in 1998, she made a short film called Blossoms and Veils that actually starred Jada Pinkett Smith and Jeffrey Wright, which is her only credit as a film director, which I find it just so interesting that I'm like, there's Jada Pinkett Smith. Like, that's a big star. Yeah. That's not a no name. And she just happens to be in your short film. That's your only like directing credit i, think I that's know crazy it's actually crazy that even like the tiny things she did like even the one you mentioned before mm-hmm. the documentary on Hank Aaron. yeah it's, here's a peabody here you can work with jada pink smith like even these tiny yeah. little films are at the beginning of her do career. very well mm-hmm. yeah and then she received a assignment to co-write the hbo movie introducing dorothy dandridge in 1999 that again earned numerous awards for its star halle berry again just another random actress. just another random <laughs> who's that and then in 2001 she wrote crossroads the debut film of the pop singer britney spears mm-hmm. it didn't do so well critically but it was like it was a success monetarily she can which to-, to be perfectly honest if it does well monetarily it means the public likes it even if the critics yeah. didn't and that yeah. usually speaks for itself yeah yeah mm-hmm. i agree <laughs> yeah and then so she worked this more with disney she worked on both the princess diaries and then princess diaries 2 this is something sweet apparently like Princess Diaries 2 didn't do as good at the box office, which Mm -hmm. is shocking for me to hear because that is my favorite. But she's talked about how she really treasured that experience because it gave her the opportunity to work with Julie Andrews, which is valid. And we have an episode on Julie Andrews. And I remember us talking about that movie Mm -hmm. and how it was the first time that she sang in so many years because Mm -hmm. of her medical condition or her throat. And I'm like, that would be like the highlight of your career to be able to be there for that. So I can mm-hmm. imagine how treasured of an experience it would be to be there yeah. for Julie Andrews. I know. Yeah. I have extreme jealousy for that experience. Same. <laughs> In 2003, she wrote her very first TV pilot that for ABC about young female war correspondents, but the network turned it down. I'll go into it later as to why they ended mm. up turning it down. But last year we had an episode on Dickie Chappelle yeah was a woman war correspondent granted maybe not in the same time period that she was making the move the move the tv show for but still pardon me is wow what 
that would have that is an interesting premise though i know i'm like i actually feel like it would be so interesting to see a tv mm-hmm. show about female war correspondents i know i'm a fan I, I know i'd be interested we're gonna go into a little bit more detail on all of these tv shows but just so you know the basic timeline she is the creator and current executive producer and a head writer for Grey's Anatomy. And the series debuted as a mid-season replacement, actually, on March 27th of 2005, which... What was it replacing? So the season initially served as a mid-season replacement for the legal drama Boston Legal. Oh, so okay. I guess it wasn't doing well. So yeah, and I guess that's, that's what sad. happens. Like, and I don't know if it's that they like just completely cancel it, but they'll just like book it and move it to a new time. Mm. I think a lot of the times, and so they needed something new to take that place. So here comes Grey's Anatomy. If you're unfamiliar with what Grey's Anatomy is, it's a series <laughs> of surgical staff at the fictional Seattle Grey's Hospital that later becomes, I guess, spoiler alert, later becomes the Grey Sloan Memorial Hospital. And the series features Ellen Pompeo serving as the main character, Meredith Grey, who provides narration for most of the series episodes. 2007, she actually created a spinoff series called Private Practice, which debuted September 26, 2007 on ABC. That's actually, it follows the life of Dr. Addison Montgomery as she leaves Seattle Grace and into LA. I don't think that one was like as successful as Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, I think it only had a couple seasons, right? Yeah, only yeah. has a couple seasons, but I've heard great things about it still. And I know I haven't watched it personally, but I do love Dr. Addison Montgomery. Yeah. So I thought it was interesting. They brought up the fact that the first season was shortened because of the writer's strike, yeah. which I know also happened with the office there were quite a few shows during the time that like they yeah they got shortened dramatically so if you ever Mm. run across a tv show and there's one season that has fewer episodes it might because of that yeah that's interesting because it's like with the writing strike that happened last year it'll be interesting to see how that plays effects you know and how we'll see that later on as well definitely 2010, she created a new pilot for ABC called Inside the Box. It was a female-centric ensemble drama set in D.C. The network news bureau, the lead character is Catherine, an ambitious female news producer who, with her colleagues, pursued the story at all costs, but it was not picked up by the network. Mm. Again, another good premise, but also, I feel like we're seeing a theme of Mm. female-centered stories. 2011, she served as an executive producer for the medical drama Off the Map, which is created by Grey's Anatomy writer Jen Bands, and it focuses on a group of doctor who practice medicine at a remote clinic in the Amazon jungle. And it was canceled, though, pretty soon after. I feel like I would be terrified to watch that, actually. So (laughs) I might be okay with that one being canceled. Uh That sounds horrific. (laughs) Truly. And then in May 2011, that's when Scandal starts to become a series. Carrie Washington stars as Olivia Pope, which is a political crisis management expert. And the character is also partially based on a former Bush administration press aide, Judy Smith. Um, And that aired April 5th of 2012. There was another show that she worked on a period drama called Gilded Lilies that was not picked up into a series. But then the following year, December 2013, How to Get Away with Murder Mm -hmm. got picked up. And they got like Violette Davis to join the cast. That was officially picked up to series on May 8th of 2014. Later, March 2016, Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder, and Grey's Anatomy were respectively picked up for their sixth, third, and thirteenth seasons. 
which is crazy. Mm -hmm. And then the following year, it was announced that Scandal would conclude after its upcoming seventh season. And then comes this big Netflix deal. Yeah. Would you like and to talk I about think, the Netflix deal? Yes. I was going to say How to Get Away with Murder. I don't think it's still going, right? No. But she did. Yeah, it had six seasons. So yeah. this Netflix deal was like the biggest news in mm -hmm. television for quite some time. Yeah. <laughs> what happened is basically on August 14th, 2017, Netflix announced that it had entered into an exclusive multi-year development deal with Shonda Rhimes. Mm -hmm. So all of her future productions would be Netflix original series. Which is a big deal. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, you're getting someone who has an intense repertoire of like successful shows and then you're getting mm -hmm. told that all of it's going to be exclusively on your platform. They, of course, had already purchased U.S. streaming rights to past episodes of Grey's Anatomy and Scandal. I know that How to Get Away with Murder was also on there. Oh. I don't know why it wasn't in here, but that's where I watched it. So I know it was oh, on okay, there. Cool. <laughs> yeah, Because yeah. I don't have TV, so everything's on a streaming service. And then the chief content officer, Ted Sarandos, even described Rhymes as being a true Netflixer at heart since she loves mm. TV and films, cares passionately about her work, and she delivers for her audience. And mm. Netflix originals, some of them aren't that great. But they've had quite no, some success. Had, yeah. Stranger Things, Bridgerton, just to yeah. name. I think probably their two biggest ones. But So they've lot. done really well. Like, mm -hmm. they, when you have that much content, you're able to hit and miss multiple times and still stand. On the deal, Shonda Rhimes said herself that Netflix understood what she was looking for, which was the opportunity to build a vibrant new storytelling home for writers with the unique creative freedom and instantaneous global reach provided by mm. Netflix's singular sense of innovation. The future of Shondaland and Netflix has limitless possibilities. And yeah, cool. fair, instant global reach available to people all across the country. You don't have to have cable or a streaming mm -hmm. service and it's there. And yeah, I think there is a lot more freedom because they're looking at her as you're the expert, whereas ABC, I'm sure, was a little bit more worthy we're the experts. The experts. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was considered to be a coup for Netflix due to Ryan prominence at ABC, which I mean, makes sense. And then also was considered to be a counter towards the effort by Disney, who's ABC's parent company, to reduce the availability of their content on Netflix in favor of a planned subscription streaming service of their own, which we now, now have. have. Disney, <laughs> Disney Plus. Plus. Yes. As well as Hulu and SBN. SBN. ESPN. Wow. Yeah, so Disney has its own little empire that they're building over there. As of October 2020, she was working on more than 12 projects for Netflix, including Bridgerton. Wow. I'm assuming we've seen some of them, which we'll talk about. I know. But I'm like, <laughs> but wait, not what 12. other ones are coming? I know. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. Definitely more. One quote I thought was really cool. I ran across an article about, it was specifically like Bridgerton and how it reached so much success on mm -hmm. Netflix. And they talked about that there's a new trend within television that doesn't match up Hollywood's original pattern. So mm -hmm. they said that where Hollywood's instinct is to silo content into categories meant just for men or just for women or for certain racial demographics, mm -hmm. that's like long past its expiration date. That's not how people view content anymore. Mm -hmm. And the writer said, we just have such a wide range of members with very different tastes looking to programming that is too limiting. And I think you're going to miss out 
if you do. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Shondaland has never run that way. Like it's never been, oh, this is a show for women and this is a show for men. If you look at all of her shows, I feel like all of them can be enjoyed yeah. by mm-hmm. both people very evenly. And another thing that she really shows is that she also doesn't focus on one specific demographic either. Like mm-hmm. her shows are very racially diverse. And so this means that the audience can really be anyone. Mm-hmm. And they said that's what's so lovely about Bridgerton especially is that no matter who you are, you can find something to love about the show. Talk about it. But when they initially released Bridgerton, they obviously thought it was going to resonate more with women. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. they realized that just as many men were watching it and enjoying it. So there's a method to all of this. <laughs> there really is. For a brief note on her personal life, she actually adopted her first daughter in June of 2002. She adopted another girl in February of 2012. And then in September 2013, she welcomed her third daughter via gestational surrogacy. And then in 2014, she actually got a honorary doctorate from Dartmouth, which Why her not? alma mater. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. As far as things that she's done for activism, in April 2017, she joined the National Board of Planned Parenthood. Later that same year, Rhymes and Katie McGrath co-founded Times Up, and both of them donated the funds to hire its first seven employees. I did not realize that she was the co-founder of Times Up. Know that either. That's yeah. so. That's really cool. That's really awesome. We know that was a pretty big deal. You know, yeah. movement that happened there. And then 2019, she joined the organization When We All Vote as a co-chair, and this organization was founded to get out the vote before the 2020 general election. Which is a reminder that if you're not registered to vote, do so. Very good point. Yeah. So a couple quotes that I wanted to share before we dive into specifically the shows is I think something that's really cool that you can tell with Shonda Rhimes is there's no question to her of what her worth is. And so here's a quote said, I never worried that I deserve the money. I deserve every penny I make. I always find these young women who have been conditioned to believe or to speak of themselves in a way that makes them smaller. And it drives me bonkers, which like, there's reasons why women speak that way. But like, yeah. I don't feel like she's dismissing that. The, the no. Yeah. And then talking again about Bridgerton's success, it is proof that jumping ship from ABC, which was her home for more than a decade, has paid off. And she said, I don't know how you do things without betting on yourself. If I was going to play it safe, I would have stayed exactly where I was and kept doing exactly what I was doing. It wasn't like a crazy leap to believe in herself, which is insane. And just to note that she has brought in more than $2 billion to ABC's parent company, Disney, with Grey's Anatomy scandal. So with all those shows, though, that brought $2 billion to ABC's company. But even so, with that, at ABC, she had to constantly fight for her higher writing and producing salaries. And she actually went from making about $30,000 per episode to $250,000 since Grey's premiered in 2005, is what Talk Forbes estimated. <laughs> wow. And then she got a larger cut of the show's pro- profit. Network executives would eventually step up, but she says that it was always a battle. Considering she made them $2 billion, I think she definitely was very deserving of that $250,000. Oh, yeah. And then she says, it's really startling to realize how much money your work is earning for a place and then discover how much they think that you're worth versus that. And that's kind of what she talks about yeah. from her years of, and I'm sure it was a huge decision making to why she planned to jump from ABC to mm-hmm. Netflix exclusively is they obviously very much saw her worth. And I think that's just like a really cool example of someone just being like, nope, I deserve everything that I've made. And I think especially when she's like looking at the money that she was making for these huge corporations and like yeah. these like little empires, 
and saying, no, I do deserve more of that pie because I am the one who's creating this for you. That's honestly such a good thing to keep in mind with no matter Mm -hmm. where you work to be like, how much is my work contributing to the overall success of the company? Mm Because I think that's, if you keep that in mind, that probably would help with imposter syndrome a lot. To be like, oh, like I'm contributing this much to your overall profits. Therefore, Mm -hmm. I deserve what I'm getting. You deserve that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a good way to look at it. (laughs) Yeah, I know. So now we're going to dive into her shows and I'll start, I'll talk about Grey's Anatomy because I love the show. I'm not going (laughs) to lie. I love it. I love it so much. Like I mentioned though, it premiered on March 27th of 2005 as that mid-season replacement. And it is the longest scripted primetime show Currently, it's still airing mm-hmm. on ABC. It's like honestly crazy. It's still going on. NCIS has got to be close, right? Oh, it's got to be. Actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. NCIS um, has 21. Ah, uh, so I think Grey's Anatomy's only beat it by a couple years. Yeah. So we'll mm-hmm. see who wins in the end. We'll see which one lasts longer. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. But the series catapulted many of the series regulars, including Ellen Pompeo, Patrick Dempsey, and Sandra Oh into worldwide recognition and they were actually among the top five highest earning television actors in 2013 which i feel like is when Grey's anatomy was at its like peak it was once among the overall top 10 shows in the united states the show ratings have fallen (laughs) as of i mean at a certain point i think like i said the joke is like enough how many bad things can happen to these people really highly rated as far as like demographics and people watching it does it's got to be comforting in some ways the world kind of spinning Grey's anatomy has a new season (laughs) like (laughs) so true (laughs) Some things stay the same. (laughs) And people go back and rewatch it. Mm -hmm. Um, It does really well on Netflix. And as of February 2003, it's ranked as the 10th most popular on-demand program. So people go back to it all the time. Give them what they want. Literally. It's gotten a lot of critics praise, especially in the early seasons. Like I mentioned, it's fallen off. But it's considered to have led a very significant effect on popular culture that has received numerous awards, including the Golden Globe Award for the Best Television Series, which is crazy, in drama, 38 primetime Emmy Award nominations, <laughs> including two for Outstanding Drama Series. And then the cast members have also received individual accolades for their performances. Has it never won an Emmy? It's just been nominated 38 I think it's just been nominated. times. It got a Golden Globe, but I don't think it ever actually got the Emmy, which is sad. Can you like win an Emmy for most Emmy nominations? I feel like they need to add that. <laughs> like they retroactively, like, yeah. you know what? This is actually, you know, have you ever heard of the TV show Better Call Saul? Yeah. Uh huh. I saw that this last Emmys, because the show's done now, but mm. it never actually won an Emmy, but it was nominated so many times. So it like set a record for the most amount of losses because oh. of how many times it had been nominated but not gotten the award for it. So that kind of sucks. Did they give him an Emmy? No, they didn't. Oh. <laughs> See? Yeah, they, maybe they should. Like, yeah, you were nominated so many times. It was a good show, but yeah, because you know, like I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to sometimes not win because it's a juggling there's, game. There's yeah, so many there's good so shows. Many good shows. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like maybe they should just get an award for most nominations. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they have 50 something nominations from yeah, the Emmys. So I'm going to say if anyone from the Emmys is listening. <laughs> you should consider this. You should consider a category of most nominations. Um, I found this interview that she actually did with Oprah like back in 2006 about how she got the idea for it. And I just I was going to read some of her answers. 
Oprah asks her, where did you get the idea for the show? To which Shonda says, I was obsessed with the surgery channels. A few years ago, I did a pilot for ABC and it was about a journalist covering a war. I really loved it. But then when we went to war in Iraq, the pilot suddenly felt like poor taste because the characters were having too good of a time. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. That's why they didn't end up doing it. She said real soldiers were dying and it would have been weird to air it. Later, ABC wanted another pilot and i'd had so much fun with the first one and writing for television is completely different from movie script writing a movie is all about the director's vision but television is a writer's medium when a show airs it's exactly as i imagined it so anyways back to my obsession with surgery my sisters and i would call each other up and talk about operations we'd seen on the discovery channel something is fascinating about the medical world things you'd never imagine like the fact that doctors talk about their boyfriends or their day while they're cutting somebody open so when abc asked me to write another pilot the or seemed like the natural setting um oh, man and then Oprah asked, how did you differentiate Grey's Anatomy from the TV show ER? Mm. To which she said, ER is a high-speed medicine. The cameras fly around. Adrenaline is rushing. My show is more personal. The idea for the series began when a doctor told me that it was incredibly hard to shave her legs in the hospital shower. At first, what seemed like a silly detail, but then I thought about the fact that it was the only time and place this woman might have to shave her legs, and that's how hard the work is. Oh. So I thought that's cool that like that's kind of what inspired yeah. this. And it's like Uh, a regular hospital, right? So they're doing mm -hmm. like surgery and yeah. Okay. Exactly. Oprah asked, how did each character evolve in your mind? She said, that's a tough one. I wanted to create a world in which you felt as if you were watching very real women. Most of the women I saw on TV didn't seem like people I actually knew. They felt like ideas of what women were. They -hmm. never got to be nasty or competitive or hungry or angry. They were often just the loving wife or the nice friend. But who gets to be the bitch? Who gets to be the three-dimensional woman? And you know Love, 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 I love, love that love. too. And I feel yeah. like that is something I will say about like Grey's Anatomy. And I'm like in my rewatch, I was just like, I don't like Meredith. Like she's so frustrating to me as a person. But that's the point. Mm-hmm. That it's not the typical likable character. And she's literally the main character of the entire show. Yeah. But like you follow her life with all of her flaws and all of her friends' flaws. And like that you really do feel like you're watching very real messy people yeah and like how important is that there's so many television shows with unlikable men like totally (laughs) i feel Mm -hmm. like that's totally a typical thing and so to allow like her female characters to be unlikable like that's incredible i've been seeing a couple tweets like literally today where it was like in quotes of oh i want more like dimensional complex female characters and then it'd be like you couldn't even handle her and then it was a picture of Katniss Everdeen oh yeah (laughs) like pointing out the fact of like you say you want that but then like when you're even getting a glimpse of it people are like oh we hate her oh she's so annoying all this yeah it's like anyways people complain way more I saw a funny thing this is off topic a little but this news station did a test to see what people pay more attention to and so they had their male anchors wear the same suit every single day for a week okay they got no letters from the fans nothing so then the next week they had their female anchors wear the same dress for an entire week Uh and they showed them scrolling through the emails that they received 
no way. So they and noticed. they were saying they were like, people are so much more critical of women than they are of men. And these men were just wearing the same suit. They were wearing the same shirt, the same tie, like literally yeah. exact mm-hmm. same outfit. And the women did the exact same thing. And they there were comments like, do they not own any other clothes or all this stuff? Like, what's the deal with all of the women wearing the same outfit? And oh they were just gosh. pointing out the fact that like, People pay so much more attention. They're so hypercritical of what women are doing, mm-hmm. especially on television, as opposed to what men are doing when they didn't even yeah. notice. They didn't even notice. Wow, <laughs> that is actually crazy. Yeah. That actually goes in right with this next story. So she told the story that in like the first season, the network got on her because they were using the word vagina too much. Um, and so she said, she's, I kept saying it's a medical show. We can't say vagina, but we can say penis a million times in an episode. Quote, in one of our first shows, we used the word penis about 32 times. But when we said vagina twice, the broadcast standards people blinked. We fought that and won, but vajayjay is our favorite alternate term. Oh, gosh. I thought that was so weird. Crazy thing to realize. That they had to censor the accurate... True, but then also, I mean, I like that she went to battle for it and was like, mm-hmm. "No, that's not right." If I, which is yeah. like such a weird moral point to be like, I know, but it's it matters. It's yeah. weird. No, it really does. It's funny that these tiny things matter, but it does because it means they're censoring the scientifically mm-hmm. accurate word for Literally. a body part. That's what she said. She's like, it's a medical show. We're not yeah. gonna like use innuendos. No, it wouldn't That'd make any weird. sense. The doctor to be like. <laughs> Like bashful over like the actual <laughs> medical term. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be weirder than just saying it. Literally, oh, though. Man. The last thing about Grey's Anatomy I'll talk about is um, about the characters. The interviewer asked, the interviewer, literally Oprah. Okay, <laughs> Oprah asked what characters she started with. And she said, I began with Meredith. Christina was second simply because she's the kind of woman I know really well and I like her. Something is interesting about a person who is that driven, a little bit emotionally disconnected, but still a caring, sweet, and smart individual that you could be friends with. And I will say that it's very obvious that Shonda Rhimes loves Christina. I love Christina yeah. too. I get it. So just fun little tidbits that. about the creation of Grey's Anatomy. And like I said, it's still going. You can watch it all on Netflix right now. I don't <laughs> think you can watch the most updated season, but I stopped the I season wonder, 14. But We're going to ask ChatGPT how long, how many hours it would take you to watch all of Grey's Anatomy. Okay. It's 267 hours. Oh, wow. Which would be 11 days straight. Well, just over 11 days. So you could watch all of Grey's Anatomy and it'd only take you 11 days. Yeah. Nothing else. You've got a couple of days off work. (laughs) That's why COVID, it was a great time. (laughs) No, that makes perfect sense for COVID. (laughs) Yeah. What else was I going to do? Just 11 days. Mm -hmm. You can just sit down and watch all of Grey's Anatomy. The next one was how how to get away with murder. I've already talked about it, but American legal drama premiered in September 25th of 2014, concluded in 2020. Mm-hmm. Viola Davis actually stars as Annalise Keating, who's a defense attorney and law professor at a prestigious Philadelphia university, who, along with five of her students, becomes entangled in a murder plot. Have you watched Ooh. this? No, but I okay. really want to now. I got to say, like, even the pilot episode... Mm-hmm. was just so good because it's like the kids are sitting in class and they're like talking amongst each other and you can tell like the competitiveness of like law school and everything. Mm-hmm. And then the whole premise of her 
class is this idea that as a defense attorney, you're essentially trying to get away with murder, right? Because on like high profile cases. So she's saying if your client actually murdered someone, which as a defense attorney, the likelihood of that is actually pretty high. And so it's like, how do you get away with murder? That's what they're learning for their class. And then they actually get into And then, of course, yeah, an actual murder happens, and then they have to learn the reality of that as well. But oh. even just the premise of that, like, even if you just watch the pilot, like, Viola Davis is so powerful in it and everything, mm-hmm. and how she just comes in and the speech she gives, I was like, ooh, that is how you teach a class. <laughs> Horrifying. <laughs> yeah. 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 To touch on that then, the main thing I wanted to focus on with How to Get Away with Murder is the fact that she received just widespread critical acclaim. She became the first black woman to win the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series. She also won two Screen Actors Guild Award for Outstanding Performance by a Female Actor in a Drama Series. Image Award for Outstanding Actress. She's received Mm -hmm. nominations from the Golden Globes Awards for Best Actress, Critics' Choice for Best Actress in a Drama, Television Critics Association at the TSA Awards for Individual Achievement in Drama. And also, as of now, Viola Davis is an EGOT. Has an EGOT. Oh, good for Mm -hmm. her. She got the Grammy last year for her reading of an audiobook, I think, actually. So... Love that. This was a good stepping stone on her way to EGOT status. So yeah. Had to shout awesome. out Viola Davis. But I feel like people are so happy about that audiobook section. That's given yeah. so many people EGOTs. <laughs> <laughs> so true. I feel like it's easier for an actor to somehow get a Grammy than a singer to get an Oscar. I was or a thinking Tony. about that. Like I was yeah. like, to be a singer and to be able to get an Emmy and a Tony and an Oscar. That is a mm-hmm. whole other playing field than an actor being, yeah. Because like, there's a lot of like, kind of, they already sometimes yeah. are on stage stuff. There's mm-hmm. a lot of weird Grammys that like they can get in on like, a, yeah. you know, like an audiobook. Who would have thought? But like anyways. for a singer, you pretty much have to write the score for a movie or TV show or a song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then maybe Taylor Swift has like, an Emmy for like a random. Like something to do with the way like her night. I don't know what her actual Emmy is, but she randomly does have an Emmy though. Oh, I don't even know that. Good for her. See, yeah. all that's left is an Oscar and Tony. The last show that we'll touch on that she did with ABC is Scandal, American political thriller starring Carrie Washington. That aired 2012 for over seven seasons. Carrie Washington's character, Olivia Pope, I mentioned is based off of George H.W. Bush's administration press aide, Judy Aid, who serves as a co-executive producer. Oh, yes. They had an expert. The show was named a television program of the year by the American Film Institute, received a Peabody Award for Excellence in Television, and was honored as Outstanding Drama Series at the Image Awards. And then Carrie Washington won the Image Award for Outstanding Actress in a Drama Series. These awards have really long names. Yeah. Um, And has been nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Lead Actress, a Golden Globe, and a SAG Award, actually, for Outstanding Performance by an Actress in a Drama Series. So Awesome. Both of those did very well, and those lead actresses were very much given their flowers. So I thought that was awesome. Okay. We get to move into Netflix now, which is fun. I'm going to actually talk about Inventing Anna first. If you have not seen Inventing Anna, which I'm Mm -hmm. shocked if a lot of you haven't, it was everywhere for a while, but it's based on the true story of Anna Delvey, who was thrown in 
jail as like a scam artist is what mm-hmm. you would essentially call her i thought it was really cool they asked her how she came across the story and she said she was running on the treadmill when she read the article in the new york magazine about anna delvey and then she said i remember literally jumping off the treadmill and calling my office oh that's <laughs> that so cool. i really felt like i hadn't felt that excitement of a story that i wanted to tell and knew exactly how i wanted to tell it in a really long time Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So it just came to her very quickly. She also talked a lot about just the story in general. Like one of my favorite things in the title sequence is it says, this is a true story other than the parts that aren't or something like it was something tongue in cheek like that where it was like, this is all true. Other than, yeah, the things that aren't true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And from what I can tell, it was pretty true like they dramatized parts of it but for the most part they followed it pretty close but she said what captivated her so much and what she thinks captivated the audience in general like why the show got so popular and the story did is because there's something about this idea of somebody that age a young woman building her way through the brawl that we can all relate to she's a villain's villain if you can't help but admire her she's fascinating and you also can't help but be taken by her i was fascinated by the fact that people were so eager to believe what she had to say without questioning it and how you make your way in the world. If you think about the fact that most of us reinvent ourselves when we go to college or you reinvent yourself when you go to high school or out in the business world, that's what Mm -hmm. Anna was doing. Only she did it better than almost anyone else I've ever seen, which is like true. True. (laughs) She also talked about the fact that the story kind of unfolded as they were writing it because the trial was going on during the process because the article came out and then she started writing it yeah so it was during the trial and everything that this happened too so they remember that they were sitting in the writing room all together all of the writers and one of the writers was in new york at the trial sending them text updates so that they could finish the show while the trial was happening that's crazy <laughs> yeah like <laughs> just insane and then she has some closing notes about She also talked a lot about just how she learned from Anna and realized that she didn't hate her as much as she thought she would when she started the story, Hmm. which I thought was interesting, too, because that's how you feel by the end of the show. You don't really hate her as much as you think you should. And then also... I feel like that's how you write a TV show. Yes. You have to write a... You know, to write a good character, I feel like you have to like your character, even if they're very flawed. Yeah, even like a little. And Mm -hmm. I think it was cool. The interviewer asked her, like, what does this series say about society's obsession with image? And do you feel like Anna was treated differently because she was a woman? And her response was, we have created a world in which scrolling through Instagram images is the way you're supposed to take in other people's lives and understand what's good and who's bad and who's powerful and who's great. And yet when somebody managed to do it in real life, people got really mad. They don't get mad when a New York real estate mogul takes New York or takes America or comes up with those ideas. They get angry when a 20-something-year-old girl who is not New York's idea of a perfect supermodel does it. She's a very regular girl who had the confidence to stand firm and say, this is why I am, this is who I want, and people bought it because she had that confidence. Weirdly, she's being punished for being a very confident woman. It says a lot about us as a society. That's what galls people more than anything. The fact that she cared about what she looked like, the fact that she felt strongly about what she was doing, and the fact that she felt she was smarter than a lot of the men in the room. Interesting take. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, what she did was wrong, but they are right that like (laughs) people have done the exact same thing and Mm -hmm. gotten away with it. True. And people weren't nearly as mad as they were at her. 
And for the most part, she scammed over banks more than individual people other than her friend. Yeah. Which I'm like, isn't good, but... Yeah, she's not necessarily our... She'd be our role model. No, but I'm like, but she wasn't like... But it's an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like, what's her name from Real Housewives of Salt Lake where she was scamming old people? No. Yeah. That's despicable. Yep. She was scamming like the upper elite of New York and... And there's a little bit of Robin Hood in all of us. I was going to say, that's a little Robin Hood. It's giving <laughs> yeah. Robin Hood. I'm okay with that. <laughs> so we all were like, mm, like, good for her in a way. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm with it. I'm fine yeah. with it. And then obviously not her longest running series yet because we have Grey's Anatomy, but probably her True. most popular as of right now, I would I say, so. is Bridgerton. Yeah. Sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which love i did love. not watch it until last year <laughs> i don't know why i was behind that mm-hmm. i finally watched the first season i was just like no i immediately understand what was i doing yes like, why did i not jump at this so well I done target demographic i loved it yep so good what bridgerton is it's an adaptation of popular romance novels that was the bridgerton series by julia quinn and she actually is a number one new york times best-selling author from bridgerton these are very well-selling books. She released them from 2000 to 2006, and I think it's an eight-book series that just focuses on the eight Bridgerton siblings that are shown in the show. Mm. And so what she did is ended up, Shonda Rhimes created a must-see sensation in a world overflowing with binge-worthy television, which they said is hard to do nowadays. Mm -hmm. Not everyone is a Stranger Things, a Tiger King, a Bridgerton. Like everyone was watching this show when mm-hmm. it came out in the first 28 days it was available 82 million households which was 40 percent of netflix's paying audience That's watched so the eight episode series and i do want to point out that this was pre-household split which means that was 82 million households, but we don't know how many on each account. So that's True. a lot. That's mm-hmm. a lot of people were watching Bridgerton. And the first season had eight episodes and it just smashed the service's previous viewing records. Like most people watching in an amount of time that had ever happened on Netflix before. So obviously it got renewed. <laughs> obviously yeah they said that they booked a second season within weeks like why (laughs) wouldn't you you'd be like oh this the first day i'm sure they're like send an email like uh you're renewed (laughs) yeah (laughs) let's get another one going and then in april he also agreed to fund seasons three and four so we're coming up on season three Mm -hmm. which will be released this year after some delays from the writer's strike but we also know that we have a season four coming And I'm sure with the success of all of them, there will probably be more. I'm expecting eight for each of the eight books. We'll see. (laughs) Would be here for it. (laughs) Yeah, would love that. At the time of this interview, they said a spinoff is in the works. The spinoff has been released. That is Queen Charlotte based on the Queen's story with Mm -hmm. King George. Have not watched it. I don't think it was as popular as Bridgerton, but I did hear wonderful, beautiful things about it. That's what I was gonna say. Everyone who I know who's watched it has like my cousin loves it. (laughs) She like told me she's she was sobbing watching it because she loved it so much. So yeah, so it was like very beloved, even though it wasn't Mm -hmm. quite as popular. And I think the second season of Bridgerton even did better than the first, didn't it? Oh really? Yeah, I think so. A hundred and ninety-three million people. Watch season two. Yep. I that could be wrong, guys. I don't know. I'm just trying to find. But I can't find the statistics right now. But basically, it did very well. Like just as good, if not better, than the first season when it was released. I 
loved this too, though. It said, but given Shondaland's track record, Bridgerton's runaway success can hardly be considered a pandemic fluke because the first season did come out. In 2020. Yes, mm. during the pandemic. The Bridgerton sensation is, after all, exactly what Netflix was hoping for when it struck a multi-million dollar deal with Rhymes back in 2017. And while they're unsurprised that she's generating yet another smash hit, a lot of people were shocked by how many men enjoyed the series right out of the gate, which I said, there was a lot yeah. of guys that sat down and watched Bridgerton and enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it does have some appeal for both genders in ways that a lot of period dramas haven't in the past. One thing that's really cool as well is that they were committed to obviously translating this romantic female-driven romance story from Quinn's novels directly to the screen. But mm-hmm. because Shondaland and like Shonda Rhimes is especially known for not only being female-fronted but diverse, this is my favorite thing that they did actually. And I know there was a lot of controversy about it for a little bit and then people were like, get yeah. over it. Yeah, She did diverse casting. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's so refreshing to have a period drama, period romance movie that isn't an all-white cast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's not a reflection of our world. And even if that's what the books were written about and it's what we've seen in the past with like Pride and Prejudice and yeah. all the others, it's really fun to have a more diverse cast to see people playing characters that they usually don't get cast for. Mm-hmm. based on past racism that all of us are past now like none of us want to exist in that world anymore so it's weird to continue it mm-hmm. in these films just for the sake of like historical accuracy well, yeah and especially when it's like that's not the point of no that and it yeah. doesn't it's not a detriment it's, mm-hmm. it's not like any of us are like they didn't actually dress like that or <laughs> and that's another thing bridgerton is not historically accurate but I, that's not the point no yeah. it's not the point it's not a documentary on the regency period <laughs> it's, it's a love story and one of the things I think made it so successful is that fact they have diverse casting like people are being able to see themselves in characters that haven't been as relatable to them Mm -hmm. until now and also the fashion yeah it's not accurate (laughs) and some of the costumes are really weird but they do it on purpose and they have a reason behind it and then obviously one of the favorites has been the Regency remixes of pop songs that they play as the soundtrack in all of yes. the films. So you walk mm-hmm. into a ball and Wrecking Ball is playing, but with a string yep. quartet. <laughs> or like the Wildest Dreams. Yes. And yep. it's beautiful. So it it's making like the Regency era so much more applicable to our time period now. And it's genius. Like it's the best way that you can take something that people love, which is period yep. Regency romance novels, and mm-hmm. turn them into a modern day adaptation of a TV show that everyone can enjoy. So Mm -hmm. I think it's genius. They even talked about the fact that the writer, she said, as a woman in color, I don't get to see myself in Hollywood or U.S. shows in a very certain way. Regency era, it's been done beautifully, but in a very specific way. To be able to see this kind of inclusive look at that period and interesting, complicated women, I think it's really refreshing Mm. and very powerful. And I would agree. Uh, Yeah, I agree. Now I'm going to go watch season two. Yes, you have to. I really did like season two. I liked the characters. I know a lot of people had issues with Phoebe. They didn't like her that much. I did. (laughs) I got it. Like the eldest daughter made a lot of sense. So I thought it was relatable. And I thought that he, the Duke, was very (laughs) attractive. (laughs) In the second season, yes, he's attractive. But I don't know. I liked the first season more, I think. But the second season was very good. And I'm very excited for season three. Because me too. It's all I know who about, it's focusing on, and I'm very yes. excited about that. Although they did skip 
Anthony, like the artist brother. Oh, true. And I have heard like good things. Like apparently his book is based on the Cinderella story. Oh. And he's actually my favorite of all of the brothers. I feel like he's the least toxic. So Okay. So maybe that's coming in season four or five. Yeah, I hope. Maybe they're like switching, like focusing on the brothers versus sisters. Yeah, I feel like Colin got really popular because people mm. really love. Yeah, um, that's true. LP, right? That's her mm-hmm. name. Yeah. And so I think they upped it because they know people were waiting for that one. Yeah. Which is fair. I don't think it will change anything to have one of them get married out of order. <laughs> Valid. <laughs> yeah. But I am excited for whenever we do get his season. Well, there's Shonda Rhimes in the world of Shondaland. Yes. Can't have a an episode about women in the arts and not shout her out eventually. So glad I we finally got to it. And mm, hope you feel fitting. inspired to go watch some TV. Because honestly... I have not felt this excited to go watch some TV in a long time. I feel like I'm in a dry spell lately with TV. Same, actually. Yep. So yeah, this is very inspiring. And I also think it's fun for Valentine's Day. We've got Bridgerton. There's some wonderful romance in Grey's Anatomy. Yes, some toxic romance as well. So take your pick. (laughs) So you know, you can go and enjoy the love that's in TV. (laughs) Yeah, all kinds of love. Amazing. So today for our spotlight, I have found a digital creator. Her name is Courtney Gosser Design. She is a graphic designer and according to her Instagram bio is an indie-based creative designer and illustrator and is currently accepting new clients, which is exciting. But I first discovered her on my Instagram Explore page with the most beautiful butterfly print that I really loved. And then, yeah, she just obviously just posts a lot of her work or graphics. And it's honestly just really beautiful. These Um, are so pretty. She has such a consistent style. Yes, that's what I love. Like the style is so consistent. It's so beautiful. Okay, of course, I'm trying to click her link in bio and it's like not opening. Um, Okay. But she has a shop. She's had teas, lots of stickers, tote bags, all kinds of cute things phone cases like you can get her all of her cute designs and also so something fun too cute. is she has like resources and templates that she has available so i think that's really cool i love it i love the work that she does it's just a really fun account to add to your feed love mm-hmm. it i love it so yeah go check it out again it's courtney gosser design and we follow all of our the people that we spotlight so just so you if you want to look you can just always go through our following list and that can be a really easy way to find us. Yes, definitely. I wanted to spotlight Caroline Bazana, I think is how you say it. Her username is C V A Z Z A N A. Okay. So she's an author, fashion editor, stylist, has a second account that I think she runs. This is where she's an editor and stylist for. It's called Making It in Manhattan. It's a media news company. And then her bio says a modern day Carrie Bradshaw. Obsessed. Yes. Love it. I ran across a thing. I saw like a reel of hers and it was like when people meet me in person and they're upset that I didn't dress the same way that I do in Uncut Gems, which I don't know if she was in Uncut Gems or if they like they think she looks like I tried to find it and I couldn't really. (laughs) So I don't know. But she just has this like wild, feminine, funky, like unique style that I think is so fun. I am actually so obsessed with this. Yes. Like sequins, glitter, pom poms, like everything you can think of. She's worn it and it's just so fun. 
It really is. Oh my gosh, I love this so much. I feel like this is like how I want to dress. Don't feel like I have the occasion to dress like this, but also I know that's a dumb excuse. So. I'm like, she's doing it anyway. I know. I know. That's a dumb yeah. excuse. I would be so happy if I dressed like this. Okay. That means I should dress like that. Yes, you should. I'm yeah. not brave enough. Currently, <laughs> same. I'm a little bit too self-conscious. But... Yeah. I was like, because I feel like these are the kind of outfits where you walk out and people are looking at you. And most of the time, yes. that's the exact opposite of what I want to inspire. <laughs> Yeah, I am so here for all of this. I just love it. And I think she's really good at taking the pictures of it too. So that's always fun when people have great style and also know how to display their great style. Well, apparently her podcast is fashion advice and I feel like I'm in need of some. So maybe I'll start listening. Yeah, there you go. Go Wait, what's her podcast called? It says the number one bestselling book, Making It in Manhattan and now podcast. Learn what it takes to make it in Manhattan. So I think she just... Just started the podcast. Yeah, because I saw she just interviewed Betsy Johnson, which... Oh, cool. Talk about a good guest to grab for that. So I feel like they both have very similar designs. Absolutely. So, yeah, definitely check check her out. out. I just think it's so fun and refreshing. Cool. Well, thank you for joining us for our episode today. Uh, We're going to be back next Monday, of course. So see you then. Subscribe (laughs) on YouTube, like, review, share, do all you want and get excited for March because we're excited for March. We're so wait to tell you excited what's going for on. March. So much mm-hmm. is happening. I feel like those annoying podcasters that are like, big things coming. Big things coming soon. <laughs> Follow. <laughs> Basically, we're just throwing an all-out party for Women's History Month and you yes. are all invited. So yes, make sure are. all of your notifications are turned on because, yes. We'll be sharing the love. We definitely will. Cool. Amazing. Well, we'll be well, back next Monday. Bye. Bye.